We are in our series here of the last few weeks, Culture Shock, looking at, in our culture, how do we live out our faith? In a society where uh, we have issues that can be so polarizing, uh, in, a, in a culture where we're just like, uh, like what, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus in the midst of fill in the blank? That's what we're looking at. We, Pastor Ryan kicked off week one talking about grace and truth and, and how we need both, right? We've got this little theme verse here. It says this, the word became flesh, the word that's referenced to Jesus. It says, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. truth. So week one, he talked about grace and truth, how we need both. Last week, he talked about grace and he challenged us to look at who we invite to our table. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus, and Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. We need to look at, do our lives reflect that? Do we live out grace in our interactions with the people around us? And this week, we're going to look at truth, talking about what it looks like to live full of truth. Now, this morning, we're going to look at an account found in the book of Acts. Acts is a biography of sorts of the early church. Jesus has already been crucified. He came back to life, and then he left, and the disciples were, they kind of took over. They're at the, at the wheel of the ship, and the early church is gaining some momentum. This Jesus movement is, is gaining speed, right? And we're going to look at what happens in Acts chapter 5 as they're, as they're kind of continuing to gain some momentum. I'm going to summarize it this morning. We're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to hear the condensed Josh version of Acts chapter 5. Verses 17 through 42. However, if you want to grab your Bible and, and kind of glance along, or if when you get home today you want to grab out the Bible and read this, to be like, okay, did, was he just making this stuff up? And I, I would strongly encourage that. So Acts 5, 17 through 42 is, is what we're going to be talking about this morning. So churches started to gain some momentum. And there were religious leaders at the time who didn't like what was happening. Right, the, the religious establishment did not like Jesus. They didn't like his followers anymore. So as the church continued to gain momentum, they said, hey, we have to do something about this. So they got all the leaders together. They said, hey, we're going to get the full council. This is like all the bigwigs. They're coming together. They said, we have to do something about this. So they sent some guys out, and they arrested the disciples. The disciples were the guys. They hung out with Jesus. They did ministry with Jesus for three years. And then when he left, he gave them the reins and said, go. So they drag those guys in. They lock them up in jail. Well, during the night, an angel shows up to the jail and he lets the disciples out, which we're not going to do a show of hands this morning, but if you've ever been in jail, how cool would that have been to have an angel show up and be like, hey, get out of here, right? That would be cool, right? That's what happens. The angel says, hey, get out of here. And whereas we might think, okay, hey, get out of here, run away, right? They just arrested me. The angel says, no, I want you to go and start preaching and teaching who Jesus is in the temple courts. So that's what they do. The next morning finds the disciples at the temple, the religious center of their society, preaching and teaching who Jesus was, what he came to do. Some guards go to the jail because they're like, well, we got to go get those disciples, bring them before the council. The disciples aren't there. They're like, what happened? So they go to the council like, those guys are gone, man. 
Then somebody comes in and says, hey, those guys you had locked up and sent to jail, they're at the temple talking about this Jesus guy again. So they send some guards. They drag him in again. They bring him before the council. And the council, they're like, dude, like we have told you before, we're going to tell you again, you need to stop talking about this Jesus guy. We don't like him. And the disciples say, hey, here's the deal. We hung out with Jesus. We saw you guys kill him. We saw him come back. We're going to go with what he says. They say we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. Now, the disciples grew up in a culture that they probably would have had a very high level of respect for these leaders. These were the, the gatekeepers of their religious and social lives. They said, hey, like, you guys are, are, you have authority. You are leaders. However, there's a higher level of authority that we respond to because we saw Jesus. We saw him die. We saw him come back to life. We're going to go with what he says. We must obey God rather than man. And the religious leaders, they get really ticked now. And they're like, we got to kill you guys. But one guy in their group says, hey, hang on, guys. Hang on just a second. He says, we've seen people come on the scene before, right? And they, they get some momentum. They get people all stirred up. right? But then as soon as their leader dies, it all fizzles out. So let's, let's see where this is going to go. Because if this is something these guys just cooked up, it's going to fizzle out before too long. But this is, if this is something that's from God, and we stand against it, we will be opposing God. So even this particular leader recognized that there was an authority higher than them. Well, the rest of the council didn't want to let them off too easy, so they had them flogged, which if you're not familiar with that, that's like a brutal form of being whipped. So they beat the snot out of these guys, and they told them one more time, stop talking about this Jesus guy. Acts 5 verse 42 tells us that the next morning, they're at the temple teaching about Jesus, who he was, and what he came to do. We must obey God rather than man. So as we look at this, this idea of, of living full of grace and truth, today again we're talking about truth. One aspect of living full of truth is this. It means living by God's standard, even when it's not convenient, comfortable, or approved by consensus. Living by God's standard, even when it isn't convenient, comfortable, or approved by consensus. They said, hey, the disciples said, we know the truth, and we're going to hang on to that. Was it convenient? No. They could have said, I mean, I don't know about you. If I was in their shoes, part of me would have been tempted to say, oh, okay, we'll find somewhere else to go. Was it comfortable? No, they had the snot beat out of them. And the disciples were definitely in the minority. The Romans, who were the overall rulers of their land at the time, they didn't like them. The Jews didn't like them. 
Nobody, nobody got on board and, and green stamped this Jesus movement and said, oh, hey, you know what? Yeah, we think this would be a good idea. But this is, we saw Jesus die. We saw him come back. We're going to go with what he said. We must obey God rather than man. We know the truth, and that's what we're going to hang on to. But in our society, sometimes we get uncomfortable with the idea of truth. Particularly this idea that there's some objective standard, some universal or absolute standard against which other things have to be measured. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. I've got a video clip here that highlights just a little bit of that. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. If I told you I'm I don't think it's my place as another human being to tell you you're wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. Now, you're like, he's asking about how tall he is. Is that really a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. That's the point. And guess what? They have, in recent months, they have come out with this really great technology that actually, and maybe they weren't aware of it. I want to be fair. I want to be fair. Maybe they were not aware of this technology to actually let you address this question head on. It says, do you, I don't I just don't know. They might not have known about this. I don't know. The truth can make us uncomfortable. We're like, well, I don't know. When we can't even say, hey, dude, which, by the way, the guy that was doing the interview was five foot nine, so clearly not six foot five. When we can't even address the minor things like, here's how tall you are, right? It's, it's a little scary when we think about that. And then bring into the picture absolute truth, the idea of some standard that is never malleable depending on time or culture. It is just always the same. And that can make us uncomfortable. We live in a culture where we, we if you go on social media, you'll see, you know, hashtag my truth. Hey, that's just your truth. Hey, you do you. You know, I'm going to do me. It's all good, right? And we water down this idea of truth, right? We, we make it more about my experience, or my preference, or my opinion. But truth is greater than our personal opinion. Which is a good thing. I'll tell you what. If I set the standard for everybody as to what was awesome and true, some of y'all will be... <laughs> Some of y'all will be in trouble, right? I'm just saying. 
But if you were in charge and truth was all a matter of your opinion, it gets, it gets sketchy. And we take kind of this relative approach. So, well, you know, for them, that's okay. Me, I'm just, I'm going to do things a different way. And sure, there are cases where that's, that's how it works. Right? But we've gotten to the point where we can't even tell a guy that he's six foot, that he's not six foot five. Right? Truth makes us uncomfortable. I love this quote from John Piper. He says this regarding kind of that relative approach to things. Relativism, relativism poses as humble by saying we are not smart enough to know what the truth is or if there is any universal truth. It sounds humble, but look carefully at what is happening. It's like a servant saying I'm not smart enough to know which person here is my master or if I even have a master. The result is that I don't have a master and I can be my own master. That is in reality what happens to relativists. In claiming to be too lowly to know the truth, they exalt themselves as supreme arbiter of what they can think and do. This is not humility. This is the essence of pride. So we say, hey, this is just my truth. That's your truth. I'm not going to tell you. But when we do that, we set ourselves up as the, the little God of our own kingdom, well, I, I make my standard for what is true. So we say, hey, I can't, I'm not, I can't tell you you're wrong, even though we probably, we think it, we're like, yeah, dude, like, you're, you're a freaking moron, right? Like, I mean, we're like, no, I mean, we're like, we think this, we set our own standard as the standard, and that's what we live by. But truth is greater than our personal opinions. There will be a whole lot more. If I got to make all, if I got to call the shots, right? My personal opinion was the truth. There will be a whole lot more people in here that loved awesome bands like Five Iron Frenzy, right? I, <laughs> I'm, everyone at, at, on the team, they pretty much hated any time I sent them a song because they, they don't like, they don't like my truth when it comes to music. No, <laughs> little personal uh, rant there, sorry. <laughs> Ian's good. Ian's good. Ian digs my music. He's cool. Truth is greater than our personal opinion. But truth is also greater than professional opinion. If you jump online, you can probably find expert opinion to back up any viewpoint you want. You say, well, the, this expert says, and now don't get me wrong, I love data, I love research, I love studies, like I think that's, that's fascinating. But you have to be careful because you, can, you could get an expert or you could get statistics that pretty much back up anything. That does not determine the truth. And if up to this point, you're sitting here, especially if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, man, you're kind of just picking on this whole relativistic approach, right? You're just, you're just, you're super biased. And yeah, I mean, we all, we all have a bias, but I'll say this under professional opinion. Over the centuries, the church has contributed 
to a misunderstanding about what truth is. The church, the church universal over the centuries, over time, across the globe, has contributed. And we do this by setting up as absolute truth things that are not absolute. Now, this does not mean that when the church takes a firm stance on something like, hey, who Jesus is, how we come to salvation, there are things that the church should take a hard line stance on. Scripture is very clear about some things. And to stand strong on those is good. Where the church has gotten into trouble is by taking a hard line stance on things that really boil down to a matter of preference. I remember as a teenager seeing churches torn apart because people took a hard line stance that drums were something demonic. And they said, you cannot have drums in the worship service. I'm sorry, but if, if you can find like scripture that backs that up, let's talk. But people took a hard line stance. Churches split over this. They're like, no. You cannot, absolutely not. They make it a matter of absolutes when it isn't a matter of absolutes. It is a matter of preference. Now, can you prefer organs and hymnals? Yeah, great. My mom's an organist. I've, I've jammed to a couple of hymns now and then. It's great. <laughs> but does that mean I can stand and say, God wants the organ and the hymnals. Or on the other side, no, God wants, I mean, because people, people fought on both sides. We make matters that are not absolute, absolute issues. And that damages the truth. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Just because somebody who has the word pastor in their job gets up here and says something, don't just take our word for it. Do not take our word for it. Now, our hope and prayer every week is that we accurately communicate what God has called us to. But don't take our word for it. So I say when you go home, you dig into Acts chapter 5. And you read it, and you're like, man, Josh was way off. And if I ever get up here and I say something, and you're like, man, that was way off, I hope you come back the next week, and you call me to the carpet on it. Just because the word pastor appears in my job title does not give me the corner on the market for truth. You say, oh, well, you know, pastors, you study, you do all these things. Yeah, we do. But so should you. Never take our word for it. Because truth is greater than professional opinion. And lastly, truth is greater than public opinion. Did you know that God is not swayed by the latest polls? 
At no point ever has God been in a boardroom with his angels. They're crunching numbers. And God looks up from his Excel spreadsheet and he says, oh, crap. For the last 4,000 years, I've been telling people not to murder other people, but the latest numbers show that 57% of people think it's okay. We're gonna have to change that one. Get out your whiteout, boys. It doesn't happen. What? <laughs> Truth is greater than public opinion. Again, we see this in the disciples as, as they were a minority, right? The odds were not in their favor, right? Nobody, nobody went and voted and said, okay, yep, it's okay if you do this. They said, no, we know the truth. And even though we're a minority, even though you're going to beat the snot out of us and throw us in jail, even though most of us are going to end up dying for this, we saw him die, we saw him come back. We're going to go with what he said. The truth is greater than public opinion. So if living full of truth means that we live by God's standard, even when it's not convenient, comfortable, approved by consensus, even, even in those cases, right, we, we, we adhere to God's standard, What, is that, what does that mean practically for us? Well, I think one thing is this. You can't stand for the truth. You can't live by God's standard if you don't know what they are. You say, well, you know, again, hey, can we really even know the truth? Yeah, you can. It's right in here. You want to know if the church is abusing the platform and pushing their own personal agenda? This is a really good system of checks and balances. Right? 500 years ago, Martin Luther, he's this guy, he, as he dug through scripture, he's like, wait a minute. We're doing a lot of things that don't have anything to do with what's in here. I think we should cut that out. That was not a popular opinion at the time. If you're familiar with the, the Reformation of the church, did not go over with great applause from the church at large. How are you going to know if the church is abusing the platform? By knowing what's in here. How are you going to know if you're like, man, I feel like, man, I feel like God is telling me this. You, you hear people, you hear people do some really stupid things. And they're like, well, God told me. It's like, um. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't this God, right? He didn't, he didn't tell you that. I'll tell you what, you could probably justify just about anything. You, if you cherry pick through your Bible, you could justify just about anything. So don't be a cherry picker. When we talk about scripture, when we talk about truth, you need to take the full the churchy reference, you call it the full counsel of scripture, right? You don't just look and say, hey, 
you know what? In this verse, this guy like chopped somebody up. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm going to go chop somebody up. Well, in the Bible, it says, right, you cherry pick, that's, that's going to land you in some hot water. You take the full counsel of Scripture. You see what God's truth is, what God calls us to. But how can you stand for the truth if you don't know what the truth is? Now, there's a lot of, there are a lot of issues that Scripture deals with. If you're like, well, what about blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of that in there. There are a lot of issues that we deal with in our society today aren't in there. There is no chapter and verse that you can go to to say marijuana is good or marijuana is bad, okay? Right? You can't, you can't find a verse for that. Now, are there godly biblical principles that you can apply to situations like that? Yes. However, to take a, a hard-line stance one way or the other and say, well, this is the way it is, without knowing the way it is. How can you stand for the truth if you don't know the truth? How are you going to know the truth if you, unless you dig into the truth that God has given us? And as you read through there, process it with somebody. I love it. Scripture itself tells us, right, that, that a matter is, is decided on the testimony of two to three witnesses. So we have the Bible, right? So if you're ever like, man, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to blah, 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 but it doesn't measure up to this, question it. Probably discard it. If you're talking to another person and they're like, no, this is the, this is the way it is, doesn't measure up to this, I'd let that go. Again, even if that person has a microphone and they're on a, on a platform on a Sunday morning, if what they tell you doesn't line up with this, get rid of it. Living full of truth means living by God's standards, even when it's not convenient, comfortable, or the majority opinion. But we can't know the truth unless we dig into the truth. And the disciples didn't just hang on to truth because they were like, nope, this is all we know. This is, we're just sticking with this. You know, like, I hope this goes well. The disciples said, we know what the truth is. We're going to hang on to the truth. And they ended up changing the world. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. When you stand on the truth, it doesn't just transform you. It will impact those around you. It doesn't just transform you. It will change those around you. Sometimes those of us who have who've grown up in church, or we've, we've, been, we've been following Jesus for a long time, right? We look at the culture around us and we, we kind of take on this woe is us mentality. Right? We're like, oh! Going to hell in a handbasket, oh! Right, and we and we freak out like, man, man, everything is just going to crap. Like we're just gonna hang out and do a Bible study and hope for the best. Dr. Tim Elmore is a is a leadership guru. He he has several books that which I recommend if you are looking for something for personal growth called Habitudes. 
He looks at habits and attitudes of leadership. And one of his principles is the idea of thermostats versus thermometers. Right? As followers of Jesus, sometimes we're, we're thermometers, right? What does a thermometer do? The, say the, I can't say that word. What does a thermometer do? Right? It tells you what the temperature is. It reflects what is around it. What does a thermostat do? It sets the temperature. Don't fall into the woe is us as there are issues. Yeah, sure, there are things in our culture that it's like, whoa, I don't know how this is going to end out. Don't go into that woe is us. Go into that, hey, I'm going to stand on truth. I'm going to live this out. But remember, you need to pair truth with grace. So stand on the truth and be a thermostat to those around you. Let it transform you first and then let it overflow into the lives of those around you. I'm going to have the worship team come up. I'm going to pray. But as we leave here this morning, again, dig in. Dig in. If you're not sure where to start, we would love to talk with you, give you some starting points. Pastor Brandon, he gets like, he'll geek out like nobody's business. If you're like, I don't know where to start my Bible, like he'll, he'll probably dance. You should dance right now, Kinsey. Just, I told him you would dance. So. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. But hey, I want to pray for you guys this morning. Father God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you came to do. Thank you that you are truth. Lord, maybe more than that, thank you that you allow us to know truth. Lord, forgive us for when we turn truth into a matter of personal preference. Forgive us for when we use the truth as a sledgehammer. Lord, I pray for each one here that as we allow ourselves to be transformed by the truth, that you would allow us to overflow to those around us. Lord, your original disciples stood firm on the truth and it changed the world and it is still changing the world today. Thank you for allowing us to be part of that. Would you pray this in your name? Amen.